We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. We know what we are, we know what we are, XG champions of England, we know what we are. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, my name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Okay, 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 second place XG in England, we know what we are, but you know what? City are like far and away better than everybody else, so being second in XG is kind of like being first, so essentially with the XG champions of England, we know what we are. And I know who's here. I know who they are. It is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Stilberto. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Uh, Paul backed out at the last minute, uh, which I can tell you is a good policy also if you want to avoid having children. In any event, um, we're going to cover, I think, arguably the most interesting game of the season for any team, but more importantly for us, uh, I have never felt more ambivalent about a loss than I did about this one, and we will dive in all the reasons why that may be the case. But Tim, I guess the best place to start is just the surprise. Uh, Arsene Wenger polishing his poker face, (laughs) now becoming the master of mind games, starts Alexander Lacazette. And if you remember, my friends, let me take you back to a podcast that we did just recently after Huddersfield where I suggested... He had started Mesut Ozil after saying he couldn't play in the game. And I said, could this be? Could this be okay? He played him through the half. Could he maybe play for United? And you rubbished it. But in fact, <laughs> he did. He started Lacazette. So, uh, all kidding aside, how stunned were you? Yeah, very. Uh, really wasn't expecting that at all. Um, I'm not, you know, I, it's open speculation, I suppose. I, I'm not sure how far I believe it was a, a total kind of poker face, mind games move. Because I, I don't really understand why or what for. Um, or why that player 
um it it does kind of seem to me like uh like I don't know, like the extent of his injury just wasn't actually that bad. And um, also in that discussion, because it's funny you say that, I listened to the podcast today, i.e. Sunday, um, after the Man United game. And in that discussion, we kind of talked about, well, why on earth did he stay on for the whole half um, if he had a groin injury? And uh, we probably got our answer because it, it wasn't actually that bad. And, you know, he might have souped up the extent of the injury afterwards, but... I think I think it's perhaps a bit far fetched that he took him off at half time, um, and you know stage managed managed it to that degree. Um, but they obviously kept it a bit of a secret um, that he trained on Friday because he didn't turn up in any of the training photos or anything like that. So from that point, yes, there was probably a bit of kid kidology going on. Um, but I don't think the whole thing was kind of stage managed uh, to that extent. And with Özil, like Özil turned up in all the training photos on Tuesday. So I think, you know, we knew that there was at least a chance he would play against Huddersfield, whereas Lacazette, that does seem to have been concealed a little bit more. Um, and even some journalists kind of tweeting kind of just after the lineup came out saying, oh, Lacazette trained yesterday. And uh, I don't know if they'd only just found that out or whether they'd been kind of told to keep it under wraps, maybe. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a huge surprise. It was a very pleasant surprise, though, because... I wasn't massively confident in either the Welbeck or the Giroud option, uh, to be quite honest, for a game like this. Uh, generally speaking, I'm, I'm not really down on either of them, but when you're playing a really good team, you want your best players. And uh, yeah, Lacazette definitely falls into that category. And he was excellent, actually. He was brilliant. And I, I think, you know, ultimately, say hello to Addison. Hello, Addison. <laughs> As mommy carries her away. This is why we record on Mondays usually. Um, but I think you will find that uh, he, he really was a key to the way we played. And we'll get into the way we played in a moment. But, I mean, Clive, the, the problem with this game and analyzing this game is what they call score effects, right? The, the effect of being two goals down so early and then analyzing what the game might have been like had we not gifted them that lead to defend. And we'll get into how they didn't really defend it down the road. Um, it makes it difficult to evaluate the performance absent those early two goals. But the early two goals were not, in my opinion, scintillating United play. I mean, they were potentially scintillating United uh, finishing a ruthless uh, conversion. But these were suicide moves, right? I mean, Koscielny for the first, Mustafi for the second. Is there any other way to look at this than just a bullet in each foot in the first 15 minutes? Yep, it's very simple and very simple to see. I have to say that I thought Manchester United turned up at our house and said, yeah, we're going to unsettle these. We're going to unsettle really? them from the first second. Really? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Huh. I mean, and Tim Tim will tell you, right, from somebody who's been to <laughs> loads and loads of games at the Emirates and, and beyond, from the moment, from the moment of the toss-up and they turned it around, they are saying mm -hmm. to everybody, we are here to mess your head up. Because at Arsenal, we go one way, one half, and we go the other way, second half. For 99% of the games, they turned it around. In modern football, that doesn't happen. So the, the moment that happens, my spider senses are tingling, saying they've come to unsettle us. The game kicks off. Game kicks off. First thing that happens, two forwards, Lingard stands right next to Shaka. Now, Elliot, right, we are we do a bit of statistics on this game, on this podcast, sorry. And um, last game, how many hundred million passes did Shaka have? 
Uh, I right. believe it was like 125 at 92 percent. <laughs> 125. You're the you're the opposing coach. What are you going to do? You're going to put the fastest, most agile, pressing athlete right next to him to stop that. Next thing he does, right? He says, "Okay, I've now I've now stopped their best passer." Right. You know, Ramsey's natural game is to push. So you know what? He's thinking, "Okay, let's see what happens here. I'll stand close, but really, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to break like Lewis Hamilton. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. Where can I go? Where can I go? Where can I go?" And so, what happens then? Shaka's now pressed. He's now not a passing option. So, what happens? That gives the ball to our centre halves. Now we speak about redundancy and we speak about ball playing centre backs and we've got three very, very good ones. But they had two forwards and they worked our centre backs and they cut off our passing lanes. And that's what made Koscielny pass square across the across the midfield. Mm-hmm. Okay, right there, right there, I'm telling you, right there, there is no issues. Until Kalasinic gambles and he gambles on the ball. Um, Valencia you, you gambles mean he, he, and he cuts he, inside him. Right. Well, and, and Kolasinac, because of the way he plays it, he he's he's racing onto it, right? So he he winds yeah. up over committing so to to the movement up the pitch. Yeah. He he runs he runs past the ball. Now, if he says he thinks he thinks okay, fifty fifty. If I stand here, I'm not going to get it. I'm not too sure. I don't overcommit. I stand here. He runs into me. Put my hands up. Foul. They put the ball down, we go again. He overcommits. He goes past the ball. They're in our back four. A couple of good movements. The ball through two players' legs in the back of the net. You know what? Unfortunate. Unfortunate. The, the moment for me, I, I don't even want me to go into the second goal, but the moment for me that turned the whole game was the second goal. And the reason why, because right now, if you're a footballer, and you're a manager and you're a coach, the first thing you look at is the first 10 seconds. Who fixes who? Who stands next to who? If you want Manchester United at, at Watford, they went three at the back at Watford, and they went man for man all over the pitch. They did exactly the same to us. They went three at the back, man for man all over the pitch, and they stood next to their jobs. They stood right next to the people they were detailed to play against. Bang. So now you're the manager, you've got to say, okay, they're trying to press us in our half. They've nicked one off of us. So what we need to do is play just like we did at Spurs. We give it to them, move the emphasis back into their defence, onto their three centre-backs, who are shocking ball players, by the way, and give them the ball and do exactly what Manchester United are trying to do to us, to them, and say, nah, it's not working. We are now going to send you back into your car, give you the ball and do what we did against Spurs, three in the flat line and press them off their backsides. But we didn't. We said we went over through the motions and we still tried to play in the wrong areas and we got what we deserve. And so the story of the game was set by our lack of focus in the first 10, 15 minutes, our lack of attention to detail, our lack of awareness to what was actually happening and our lack of adaptation to the game plan Manchester United had. And that's the failing of, of this team on the day. We took too long to work out what was happening to us. And Manchester United got maximum reward for starting out with a game plan that really took us off our rhythm. Yeah. And then we were 2 all down. Gosh, it's so hard for me to see it that way in the context of what happened after. But I, I take your point. And I think 
there were warning signs against Huddersfield. The, the funny thing is this game had a lot in common with Huddersfield. Us playing some scintillating attacking football, but some really sloppy, reckless play at the back that gifted them chances. I mean, if you think back on that middle 30, and Tim alluded to it last pod against Huddersfield, they could have made it 1-1-2, 1-3-1. I mean, there were chances there with sloppy giveaways and overcommitting and going to ground in, the, in challenges that were, you know, half-hearted. And, and Huddersfield weren't ruthless. I mean, we're a little unlucky against United because at the end of the day, if Czech gets his legs closed a little or that ball doesn't go through two legs, I mean, if, if we can keep one of those out, it's a different story. And, and unfortunately, we didn't. They were ruthless with those, with those two early chances. Now, Tim, I think there are a lot of things to unpack here, but the first thing we have to do is address what I think you believe is a conspiracy theory. Um, and and I, I am kind of in your boat, although I'm here for conspiracy theories. Um, the Mustafi injury, I mean, I, I don't get it, right? Like I, so, yeah, he screwed up. He absolutely screwed up. But then there's this, this sort of internet rumor going around or theory going around that he took himself off because he was embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. That he wasn't injured, that the injury was his pride, and he took himself off. Now, Wenger didn't do a lot to dispel that theory in the sense that when they asked him after the match what's wrong with Mustafi, he said, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with him. I mean, look, we've heard Wenger speak about injuries. You know, especially after a frustrating loss, sometimes he'll be like, um, you know, it's it's a bad strain. We'll be without him for a while, or you know, I think it's a calf, but I haven't had a chance to talk to the physio. I mean, it's rare they say I don't know what's wrong with him. I mean, I'm not here to suggest that he took himself off because he was embarrassed. But I mean, do you want to just kind of give your thoughts to that that theory for a minute? Yeah, I mean, he was he was treated twice against Huddersfield. Um, so, and and you know, I, d- I don't really, I, yeah, I, d- I don't really get. Basically, I think there's a lot of reading into things going on. So, um, you know, Wenger said, I, I don't know what's wrong with him. Um, can't can't it just be that he doesn't know? <laughs> he doesn't know. Um, does it have to be like a backhanded like? Oh, I, I don't know. As in, there's there's nothing wrong with him. It's um, a weird answer, though, right? I mean, like it. it I'm, it's not... I'm certainly said it before. I'm certainly okay. has. So I I can't cite a specific example. I'm certainly said that before, but it's one of these kind of um, confirmation bias things where it's not helped by the fact that, and... that we were ready to let him go in the summer. He wanted to go to Italy. You know, yeah. we were, I mean, and again, I'm not saying he came off because he was embarrassed. I'm just saying yeah. you add one plus one plus one and eventually you wind up getting more than three. You know, I mean, it Yeah, it all builds. But also, um, you know, he's he's been brilliant in the games uh, yes. building up yep. to this as well. And, and it was all about how we hadn't conceded a goal and hadn't lost the game and stuff. And, and uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean, he made he made a big error. If you, Is the goal I entirely mean, on him? Is that his error? It's it's mainly on him. I I also think that Granit Xhaka delays that pass to him for an absolutely interminable amount of time for reasons I can't fathom. But that said, Mustafi still should have dealt with it easily. Um, he he make basically makes two bad decisions. The first one, he's overconfident in trying to take the ball on on his left hand side, and Manu. That, that was a failure to read what was happening in the game. The whole reason Manu played Jesse Lingard um, was to do what uh, Park Jisung uh, used to do against us um, for Man United. It was all about um, getting into our back three. They, they weren't interested in our midfielders on the ball, um, even really Xhaka. They were interested in getting on the back three and stopping us from building. 
And so it was it was a bad reading of the situation to think he could take another touch and on his left side. And he went, he instantly transitioned from overconfidence to panic. Um, but like I said, he was treated twice against Huddersfield. He was limping quite a lot in that game. And if you watch it back, he, he pretty much instantly um, pulls up and then he kind of half-heartedly puts out a leg, I think, on Lukaku to try and tackle him. But you can see he's... He's hobbling and he looks at the bench straight away. Um, and, you know, that, that happens before the ball goes in the net. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's just one of these things where, you know, particularly on social media, we, we all think everything has to have some massive reason. There always has to be like some big pile of reasons going on. And, and quite often things, you can just take things at face value. Um, I, I think also because we're quite competitive on social media, um, we're competitive about spotting things that other people haven't to kind of um, give ourselves some gravitas and say, oh, look, look what I spotted. Look, look, look like you, a, a, my analysis. And, you mean like if someone and, on a podcast spotted that maybe Lacazette's injury was not real and he was actually <laughs> going to start against United? Yeah, so, that, that should be something avoided. like that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like we, we all compete with one another to spot things that, um, that, other, th- that other people haven't. And, uh, yeah, I, I just tend to, you know, uh, when I was so earlier in my career, I had I had a little bit of training to be an investigator. And um, it wasn't for me, but the training was very, very useful because it teaches you a lot about critical thinking and um, the directions your brain takes you in sometimes because and, and, you know, if you're investigating a case, for example, you're told your brain will try and lead you down all these little alleys because you're always looking for a reason that something's happened. And actually, quite often, you can just take things at face value, Um, not always, but Sometimes when you're trying to find an answer, um, you'll ask yourself the wrong questions, basically. And it's I, sort of confirmation kind of bias, think, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I kind of think that that's what's going on here, to be quite honest. But look, let, let's see like, how long he's injured for. Yeah, and look, I, I am of the opinion that he was injured. I, I have never in my life, I shouldn't say in my life, but heard of a player taking himself off because he's embarrassed he made a mistake. I mean... You, you don't become a professional footballer and a German international with that kind of psychological constitution. Like that, that's, that's just not humanly possible. I mean, it is possible that maybe there was a minor injury, but the manager felt at two goals down, it was time to switch to a back four. And Tim, we did switch to a back four, and Iwobi came on. Um, I mean, we'll mm. get to how well we played, but were you surprised that he made the move when Mustafi came off to go to a back four? Um, I was initially, but then I thought about it and I thought, right, we're 2-0 down uh, quite early on. So we're going to spend pretty much the rest of this game chasing it. And I think Wenger must have just thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to need all the attacking substitutions I can possibly make. And he probably didn't want to go to a back four that early, but he probably just, if it had been 1-0, I don't think he'd have done it. But I think he just thought, he looked at his bench and he thought, I've got like four four decent attacking options on the bench here. And um, I want to use at least three of them when we're 2-0 down. So um, it, it initially it surprised me. But yeah, when I thought about it, I thought, well, he's got to make three attacking subs really at some point. So he, from his point of view, probably didn't want to waste one going like for like on a centre-back. Yeah, I, I, I think the move ultimately proved to be the right one, at least in the, the pattern mm. of play and the way it went. And Clive, this is where... I take issue with anyone that talks about score effects. So you could easily say, 
of course we did all the attacking. Of course we had 75% possession and 33 shots on goal. United had a two-goal lead. They were able to sit back, park the bus, and play on the counter, right? That's the narrative answer, that the two-goal lead played into Jose's hands and allowed him to park the bus. You guys have watched us play Jose's teams in the past, have you not? You've seen his teams toy with us. Yep. You've seen his teams park the bus against us, frustrate us, make us pass laterally for 90 minutes without ever getting near their goal while they just pick us off on the counter. We've all seen that, right? This wasn't that. This was them crisis defending for 90 minutes while we peppered them with big chances, while we produced an XG of nearly five. This was David De Gea setting a Premier League record for saves. This was players not finishing chances they should finish, by the way. I mean, the the sort of curled past uh, finish from Shaka past the bar after multiple misses, the double miss from Lacazette and, and Alexis, which admittedly included brilliant saving from De Gea, but probably should have been put away. I mean, chance after chance after chance goes begging, not to mention penalties that should have been awarded. Clive, I think the cause for optimism is that we have looked like a scintillating attacking team when our big three plus Ramsey are starting together. And Scott and I covered that in the last stats section of the pod, and this will have done nothing to dispel that. How encouraging was the... Are you of the opinion that, no, they had us, they were sitting back, or was this a little different? Was this a special attacking display despite the two-goal deficit? Without without getting on the fence, I think it was... All of the above, right? So, oh, for God's sake! How can you say that without getting on the fence? That is the well, definition of the fence. You are you are living on the fence. Well, how, how does it feel let me, on let, the fence? Let me let me explain. Let <laughs> okay. me let me Please explain do. to you, right? So, um, so yeah, we spent a lot of this game two 0 down, and there was a period after two 0 where it could have been three. They were they were bossing us. They were bossing us physically. They had us. They were going to two forwards. And uh, Pogba and Lingard were winning the race to the second ball, and they were refilling. You know, I, I, I called the Arsenal midfield to fill the bucket midfield, where well, they were filling our bucket quicker than we could fill it. They were beating us. They were going long back to front, and they were refilling. And Lingard, he may be small, but he's very light. He's very quick, and Pogba is very powerful. So, in the one-on-one duels, either either with pace or power, they were winning them, and they were affecting our rhythm. They were affecting us. And this is where I was really impressive, Arsenal, because we were being bossed, we were being bullied, we were being pushed back. And they got maximum reward for their period in our half. And what do we do now? How do we affect them? And this is where I thought we were brilliant. We couldn't outrun them. We couldn't out we couldn't push them off the spot. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can move that ball so quickly that we become technically fast. So we may not be physically fast, but we are technically fast. And nothing can outrun the football. And we moved that ball and we moved it one touch and we started to affect them. And the bigger bodies lost some confidence and they said, okay. Then the Manchester United came back. Mourinho's Manchester United came back. It should have been 1 0, but it's 2 0. So they dropped in and we, and, they, and we started to create chances. We tried to create momentum. And um, we could have got more momentum, but Manchester United had a couple of players that just played really, really cleverly to the game plan. I'm just debating online right now, and I'm one of those players, and people don't won't agree, but I'm going to tell you uh, now. I'm going to stop you for one, one second. The, You're able to produce this kind of intellectual discourse and be on Twitter at the same time? 
I mean, yes. masterclass. All right, I'm ta- masterclass. I'm talking. I'm talking to Alan Alger online right now, and he agrees with me. And and Kenny Kendu, he agrees with me. One of Arsenal's major awesome. tricks is the <laughs> is the ability of Monreal, Mustafi, and Koscielny to nick the ball. So whenever we create momentum, they other teams play out. And what those three are really good at is winning in the ball in the other person's half. And they see it, they read it, and they don't just read it, they retain it and they move it and we, we get another effort. And where Lukaku and Martial, who weren't spectacular, but they were very strong on boshing off Monreal and boshing off Koscielny and affecting us physically and mentally. And we did look so dominant. So how did Arsenal react to that? They then moved the ball. And then suddenly we disconnected Lingard. We disconnected Pogba because they went deeper. And then we created that momentum. They became more isolated up front. And we started to move the ball. And then we created chances. And then the crowd got up. And this is why I was really impressed. Because we have, and Tim will tell you this, Tim, there have been times Manchester United came to us a couple of years ago. I think it was a nil-nil draw. And that was the worst Manchester United team since the Battle of Hastings. And I'm telling you, we had such an inferiority complex, but we didn't have that. We didn't have that yesterday. We mm. went for them. Like, we went for them. And, we, and I thought it was tremendous how we went for them with, with our approach. But what we didn't have was the composure and the execution and the luck. We didn't have the, the ball for the legs or deflection to really go in at the right time. We didn't, and, uh, get, the we didn't quite get the execution we deserved. We didn't get the first goal early. No, enough. I mean we, didn't. I, we had them panicking. And and Tim, I mean maybe I watched a different game here, but what I saw was a United team that never fell into, never settled into a comfortable defensive shape. That they couldn't live with mm. Ozil and Ramsey. They couldn't live with Ramsey's running. They couldn't find Ozil. They couldn't track him. Those two gave them trouble all day. I thought Lacazette was brilliant. He was darting in behind. He was popping up in places they didn't expect. Um, you know, Awobi frustrated some people, and I understand that because he was, again, this is kind of the Awobi story, not as sharp and precise with the final ball or in, in, the, uh, in the United box as he should have been. Uh, and we'll come on to Alexis in a minute, so I don't want to get on, get on that yet. But, I mean, did, did you see this as, as encouraging in any respect? I mean, I, I found it hard to feel super down after this loss. I mean, look, it is a very frustrating loss, but... Mm. You know, after every game, you know, and I said this on Twitter, last season, remember when we were in that deep, deep rut before we went to the back three? Mm. We'd come out of games and I would think to myself, shit, we're in big trouble. We're in big, big trouble. There's something wrong Mm. with this team and we're in big trouble. I didn't feel that way. After this game, I I felt if we continue to play this way, we will blow the doors off most teams. We won't make those mistakes every game. Now, (laughs) easier said than done. Arsenal actually tend to do that. But, I mean, we're not going to run into David De Gea every game either. Why do you think United struggled to, to park that bus, to settle into that d- defensive shape? And, and is it because we have become a really fearsome attacking side? Yeah, yeah. I, d- I don't think we learned a lot about Arsenal, actually, in this game, uh, for better or for worse. We learned that um, our team's top-heavy in terms of its quality. It's it's in that front three and, and Aaron Ramsey um, at the moment. And... Um, and, you know, although to be fair, the, the back three have been really, really good um, these last kind of these last few months before this game, this last couple of weeks rather before this game. Um, but what, what we found out was that Arsenal with Ozil, Alexis and Lacazette, are a very, very tantalising prospect going forward. Um, add Ramsey into that, who I think is really coming into some form. He was sensational. Um, Just sensational. Yeah. I mean, yeah, him yeah. and Ozil... 
you know, the way they move and, and Ramsey runs forward and Ozil finds space, like United could not pick them up. They could not find them at any point. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at, um, you kind of look back at the game, you see some of like uh, United's clearances, for example, were very panicked, kind of just like high, like slashing clearances and high up in the air. And, you know, as, as an attacking performance uh, from Arsenal, I thought it was really, really good. And uh, like you say, if we do that every single week, we'll win games and we'll win most games handily. Um, the problem we've got is that once again, uh, you know, we, well, we've shipped 10 goals to Liverpool, Manchester City and Manchester United. And over half of them have been as a result of us giving the ball away in um, in our own, in our kind of defensive third. I hate throwing uh, Liverpool into line. that group just because I think that game is an outlier and, and is not bit, representative. Yeah. And I also am frustrated that the manager chose, I mean... Again, this is my my little agenda, my little bone to pick, but the fact that he didn't pick, you know, that that big three group up front to face City was frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this was the first time we really saw Arsenal f- a fully fine-tuned Arsenal attack go against a big side, and I I think that's what's encouraging is that, you know, yeah. apart from the two feet we shot ourselves in early on, we looked every bit as good in that half that attack that that the attacking half as we could have. Yeah, yeah, in the attacking half, certainly. But um, the problem is we've just got a bit of a crater um, in the middle of the pitch where we don't pass the ball well enough. We're, we're technically not quite at the level that we should be because we actually do this a lot, turning the ball over inside our own half, often under not very much pressure either. You know, we did it against Stoke and we lost the, we lost the game at Stoke uh, for that exact reason. So... Um, is it because there's only one option? Is it because Shaq is the only option for the defenders to give the ball to that we we don't have a, the two in a, front of the, the defense for them to, bit, to give yeah. it to? Because as, as we discussed on the Huddersfield pod, you know, like Ramsey and Jack are, are, are told to kind of push on and it's the centre-halves then who have, who've got to make the kind of the moderate value passes through the lines. And um, yeah, and... And Man United recognised that, which is why they ignored the, the central midfield two. They weren't interested in pressing those two. It's the centre-backs that they wanted to get on top of because Mourinho recognised that that's where Arsenal build their game from. Um, you know, a similar principle to kind of, um, I think Mourinho's Chelsea might have like man-marked Arteta or something. And, it, and it's, it's a similar principle um, that there isn't like a go-to and Ramsey and Jack are swap quite a lot. So there isn't, someone in midfield they can sit on but it's all about you know getting on Mustafi getting on the centre halves because they're the ones who are expected to stride out and build the game and United recognise that and you know so and and also some of the players that have, that have made these errors are not the players you'd expect so against Liverpool it was Bellerin that gave the ball away inside his own half against City it was Iwobi one of our technically more secure players um, and, and it's just overall uh, there's just a slight glitch in there that we're just not quite technically secure enough. But but going forward, yeah, we're absolutely frightening. And uh, and I know I know you were saying earlier in the season, Elliot, that we should just play Alexis, Ursula, and Lacazette and be damned about you know how um, defensively secure or otherwise that makes us because that's where our real strength is. And uh, I completely agree with that. But yeah. it's just a bit frustrating, you know. I think losing players like Arteta and Cazorla and like I say, it's a collective thing, so I don't want to pick out individuals, but effectively we've lost Kazola and replaced him with Xhaka, and 
Xhaka's not a bad player by any means, but we just miss that that little bit of technical security in there and some of the decision-making. Like, Mustafi's a really, 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 really good passer, but sometimes he makes bad decisions, whereas you compare with Monreal, Monreal can play out, not quite as well as Mustafi can, but he can play out. The difference is when Monreal doesn't see the pass, he just goes down the line. Um, you know, he just thinks, right, I'm not... He doesn't take unnecessary risks, whereas Mustafi does sometimes. Yeah, I and he, mean, took, he took one on this occasion. To be fair, I actually think the Koscielny pass is worse. Um, yeah. I, you know, I mean, it, the Mustafi one gets the focus because it's the second one, and then he comes off injured, and then there's a conspiracy theory, and then we switch to the back four. But, like, I thought the Koscielny pass was worse. I mean, across the middle of the pitch, in that area, that pass is never on, and I don't know what he was thinking. Um so, you know, I, and we love Koscielny. That, that wasn't for him. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think to your point, though, Tim, about, you know, saying that we should play Lacazette, Ozil, and, and, and Alexis, and the rest be damned, and you know how I've been saying that, to win titles and to be relevant, I think you have to be elite at something, right? Mm. You have to be elite at something. And I think we can be elite as an attacking force. I think we are right behind City as an attacking force team in the Premier League. I really believe that. I think with the way Ramsey's running and the form he's in and that front three, other than City, I don't think anyone can live with us in that half of the pitch. And I think we can be elite at that. And you know, you look at it, this is why I think bad process, good result is one of those things you always have to be wary of. This is bad result, good process, in my opinion. Mistakes were made, okay? I get it. Mistakes were made. But the process, the attacking play, the way we pin them back, the chances we created, if you do that every game, you will win the vast majority of your games. And, you know, it's why I never fell in love with the Coughlin midfield midfield options, Coughlin, Cazorla even, because I felt it made us defensively more stable, but that it hindered us being an elite attacking force and it's very, very rare that you just see dour defensive teams grind their way to titles without being an elite attacking force. I, I think this is what we do best, and this is who, what our identity is. And, and Clive, I think, you know, if there, if there was ever a game where you saw, you know, the best of what we can be and the worst of what we can be, this is it. But maybe the real missing link isn't the Mustafi mistake or the Koscielny mistake, but there are a lot of elite players in the attacking half of the pitch, and I think it's fair to ask if Shaka fits with that. I mean... What's your appraisal of Shaka's performance this game, this season, how he fits in? I mean, is it time to to think about other options? Admittedly, not many that exist in our team that I would trust, but is he the player that was found wanting on this day, uh, surrounded by other elite talent? I think um, you know, this, this game really, so I, I connected with this game slightly differently. I don't know if you guys know, it was my wife's birthday yesterday, so I, Happy birthday I didn't to your go wife. to the game. I didn't see the game live. I went to the Ivy restaurant in London and I <laughs> I watched it on Twitter and I, I saw all the messages coming. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what, what am I missing here? And Wait, I, came I gotta, home, I gotta stop like, you again. I gotta stop you again. So to be romantic, you missed yeah, the game so you could take your wife out to dinner so you could yeah. check Twitter. I mean, to, to, to I'm my just, followers, I'm yeah? just going to tell and, you that, and that my, may have undermined your romantic gesture. <laughs> and my son, who was texting me like a like a, a good commentator, he's turning into me. And uh, also, I just watched the game differently. So I almost watched it twice. I watched it through everyone else's eyes, then I watched it through my own eyes. And when I when I got home and I watched it, and I watched it this morning again. I just saw what stood out for me was a group of very big, tall, fast athletes outrunning 
a group of not so big technical athletes that stood out to me on the screen and then I thought okay how can we get back into this game and then I looked at the where I'm going to earlier is you can't judge Shaka when we spent I don't know how many minutes 60, 70 minutes 2-0 down when the game was completely disconnected there was no distances between him and anybody we had five forwards on the pitch at the end We it was just it was a game of madness it was a game of basketball it was a game of we, so you're saying we the angry. openness of it, the 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 yeah, lack exactly. of structure the lack of to structure, it. Yeah, you read it. You read it. Means that the, that the, the midfield didn't have really the role in the game that it would in a traditional game. It it didn't. You know, we were had centre halves overlapping. We got Koscielny, our right centre half, overlapping and doing crosses. We were just freestyling it. We were really going for it in a, in a way that wasn't written down in any training manual you think about it we are 2-0 down after 11-12 minutes and we go to a back four do you think that was in the plan at any point in the week no I, chance I mean, the it, whole it probably wasn't in the plan but the fact that we did it must mean that the back four is our de facto chasing the game I mean we've seen it this season the, the back four is our de facto chasing the game Re- reconfiguration. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was incredibly brave to do that, actually. I, I do think it was the right thing to do. It said that we're not scared of you, we're going to play you. It did remind me of Arsenal pre the back three, where we just emptied out all parts of the pitch and left two on two at the back continuously. That's how it looked to me. We've seen that many, many times for many, many years. Sometimes we get away with it, and we didn't get away with it on the third goal. Right. So, um, So it was not a game of structure. It was not a game of distances. It was not a game where you can judge anyone in particular because the story of the game was defined by not just one mistake but two mistakes and being behind for probably I think there might have been 15 minutes when we were 15-20 minutes when we were between one goal behind and from that moment on it was just a different game you know it was just yeah. a game that was was stunning to watch not one to judge but the one thing that came to me and I said it today I I really feel when you watch these Manchester United games and you, when you watch them, you see limits in your team. And you often hear me talk about limits. And you don't see limits when you beat Huddersfield 5-0. But if you're really watching, you see limits. You see what other teams do. You see who they target, who they focus on. And sometimes that's your stronger players. I felt they focused on Shaka particularly. I felt they focused on Monreal and Koscielny particularly. I thought they really focused on our key influencers. They really I thought they kicked Sanchez off the pitch. I thought they kicked him. He was he was hurt early. Rojo went down his Achilles in the second half, just yeah, picked up nasty. a card. No problem. They targeted our key players. They slowed them down and they affected them physically. And uh, within that framework, within all of that, with all of that going against us, penalty decisions, great saves, hit the post, hit the bar, whatever it was, within all of that, we still managed to impose our game on them. Yes. And I think that's to great credit to the team. I really do. However, on the day, Manchester United got maximum reward for their periods of influence. Sorry, periods of influence. They got reward and they, they made it, once it became a two-goal game, they're very tall. They're very big. They could barricade the box and block shots. 
did and just make it very difficult for us. And we didn't get the breaks. I guess uh, that's the way it went. I mean, at at the other end of the spectrum, you have David De Gea, who puts forward one of the great goalkeeping performances I have ever personally witnessed. He turned into a human octopus. The double save on Lacazette and Alexis is nothing short of stunning. Um, he clawed out shots, you know, that other keepers let in. I mean, saves, you might say, oh, it's a routine one. There was a, a Kolasinac shot that he went down low for and parried it out wide. There was another shot that he parried wide that, you know, those are the saves, you, you they're 50-50. You expect them to make, but maybe you parry it straight back to an Arsenal player. I, I thought that he was the difference. And, you know, if he wasn't in such scintillating form and he lets in a goal earlier, I think this is a different game. If Lacazette gets that penalty and, and arguably red card, it's a different game. And, maybe, you know, there's there's a Darmian shout for, for a penalty. The, the handball is a penalty. I mean, there, there were ways that this game could have gone differently. And I, you know, again, I just cannot get away from the fact that we have seen Jose Mourinho teams sit back and toy with us, force us to pass it laterally on the edge of the final third and counterattack physically dominate us such that we cannot cause them problems in their half and then bully us at the other end. And I just did not see that on this day. I saw runners they couldn't track. I saw ball movement they couldn't follow. I saw technical quality that they couldn't keep up with. And I fully acknowledge that they were missing what? Uh, who, who would be their starting center back pairing? I guess it would be Jones and... Um, Bailey. Bailey. Bailey, the Bailey. two center backs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, Bailey, I mean, yeah. I, I do think that has to be taken into account, but I also don't think... Well, I was going to say you're not going to get a performance like that from De Gea every game, but he is performing at that level this season. And, you know, it is weird, right, when a player in the attacking half has a scintillating performance. No one says, oh, but he played great, right? When, it, when a keeper has a scintillating performance, sometimes it's just because he is a fantastic keeper um, and it's a position you shouldn't overlook. So, but, but Tim, I mean, I, I want to – we're going to come on to Alexis for a minute because I think we should discuss him a little bit. But before we do that, I mean – in sort of at, at full time, and we're, we'll back up, but I want to fast forward to full time for a minute. Like, mm. Was the was the feeling you had prevail the prevailing feeling from this like sort of the usual misery? Here we go again, can't win the big game, or did you find yourself having a hard time connecting with the misery that usually accompanies these? Um, yeah, I did, and actually, in in the stadium, um, a, re- a really weird thing happened. Uh, quite a lot of people stayed behind to applaud the team off. Um, and that that almost never happens. That's incredible. When they lose. Can, can I ask um, you a question? Just a, sort of a because to, to, mm. I think this is almost more important than my initial question, which is you know fairly mundane, like most of them. Um, <laughs> I mean, isn't this sort of what we've been driving at on podcasts for for a couple of years now that we've been doing this? That when Arsenal teams play swashbuckling, beautiful attacking football, the mm the leeway that the team and the manager has with the fans is greater. That when they play like this, with with virtuoso talent in the attacking half doing special things, it, it isn't just a, a stadium full of people expecting a result. They they appreciate mm. this kind of performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what, you know, the, the kind of phrase I've used over the last year or so is that Arsenal have gone from beautiful, beautiful but flawed to just flawed. Um, and actually what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks with this attack coming together is that we're kind of beautiful but flawed again. Um, so there's that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're yay? right. Like, and and I, listen, I'm not going to say that all like 60,000 stayed in. It was a rapturous, you know, round of applause. But I noticed because I, I kind of drifted away um, when the final whistle went and I was kind of walking up the steps and I, I noticed, I, I, I heard it actually. It made me double take a little bit um, that people were applauding um, 
and, and being quite generous. And uh, and yeah, I, I think that tells you a lot about the game, about what people saw. And, you know, people would have been mightily frustrated. But it was quite interesting after as well, the kind of the, the discussion we had in the pub. And one of my friends who's a massive doom and gloomer and he won't mind me saying that whatsoever he just came in and I wasn't in the pub with you (laughs) (laughs) he'd put you to shame trust me awesome Um, but but he just said do you know what if we play if we play like that every week we'll blow most teams away and he said if we played Man U like that another 10 times we'd probably win 6 or 7 so um, you know he was like very philosophical about it he was just like I I thought we played pretty well and their goalkeeper had a blinder I was a bit more, um, the thing is, I like I say, I, I don't really feel like I learned anything. So I think I already knew that our attack was capable of playing very, very well. But my, uh, I suppose it's because one of my bugbears, my frustration is, the thing I go on and on about is that I don't think Arsenal pass the ball well enough um, anymore. And the fact that we keep giving these goals away by giving the ball away under very little pressure in our own half is, is I think, testament to that. So because that's my little bugbear, that that probably annoyed me quite a bit. Um, but that, that made it frustrating for me rather than, you know, um, I, I still think I had the performance in perspective just about, but it, it's just that I, I consider that Arsenal's biggest weakness at the moment and I think it cost us the game. So, Fair enough. you know, I wasn't massively sanguine afterwards, even though I could recognise that we'd given United a good game and their goalkeeper had a blinder. But um, I, I thought if you'd have told me on Friday that Arsenal were going to lose because they gave the ball away stupidly three times, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. So, um, you know, I, I think we accentuated a lot of our strengths in this game and that's pleasing and encouraging. But I also do think the same old weaknesses showed up and it's not, you know, leadership or, you know, mentality or any of this stuff that people go for. It's it's technical. Basic um, technical execution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I couldn't disagree with you. Are, yeah, people, people are very, very quick to go with the old mentality kind of tropes with Arsenal, but which I think is unfair because we have a reputation for that, which I, I don't think is, um, which I think is slightly over-exaggerated. But at the same time, we don't get enough scrutiny for the fact that we don't pass the ball well enough anymore because there's a stereotype that Wenger teams pass the ball well at the expense of all else and actually this one doesn't so I I was still a little bit disappointed with that because I saw us concede goals in exactly the same way we've conceded goals in the other big games this season yeah I I get that and and I do think you know the one area where mentality maybe did play a part in this is I thought early on De Gea set the tone for the performance he was going to have and maybe he got into our heads a little because it seemed like the players knew I'm not going to beat him I'm not you know like there was a there was a pressure that you could feel with every finish, with every shot. And some of that I get is that you're trying to score two goals with every shot. You know what I mean? You can only score one goal at a time. And sometimes I felt like we were trying to score so desperately that we were trying to score two goals at once. But I also think maybe De Gea was in their head a little bit. Um, I just have no idea how he made some of the saves he did. The, the Alexis one you know, wasn't great. Let's do this. I want to talk about Alexis a little bit. Let's get to Scott. Let's let him give you the statistical breakdown of the match. And then we'll come back and... Um, I will let Clive tell me more about how terrible this game was uh, and how romantic his date night was. We'll be right back after we talk to Scott.
Okay, so Scott is here to provide a statistical analysis that hopefully will validate all my opinions. Uh, Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his work on crabstats.blogspot.com. Hello, Scott. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm having a bit of a problem, you see. I'm being told, most notably by Clive, that we weren't as great as world-beating, as sensational as I thought we were, uh, that while we did shoot ourselves in the foot, I felt that we were... Uh, the all-conquering attacking force I always hope to to see from us. So I would like you <clears throat> to cover the match in a way that will validate my opinion. <clears throat> opinions. Fire away. Oh, that's always best to have our opinions validated. Um, that's what Twitter's for, right? Um, yes, and uh, apparently while choking to death, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so the match ended up um, 3.92, at least according to my model. I've seen other models um, that's had it as close to, to, to 5 in the favor of Arsenal. Um, I know when I looked at my expected goals based on um, shots on target, which Arsenal got 15 this match, um, it was, you know, 4.6. So Arsenal um, really dominated creating offense. Um, and outside of the, the couple chances that Manchester United created, they really didn't do anything. Um, and I do want to, um, you know, take this with a grain of salt that there are some score effects that affect this. So what does that um, mean? I, I've been reading a, a that card. about score effects. So what... When you say that, does that mean that the early goals scored affected the the uh, type of play that followed from there, i.e. them ceding a lot of possession to us, playing more defensively, yeah, so, so on and so forth? Yeah, you'll definitely see that um, more often. So when a team goes up, especially when they go up early, um, especially if they go up two goals early, um, they are going to be a lot more cautious in the way they attack. Um, so they aren't going to take as many speculative shots. They aren't going to um, leave themselves open in the back. So you will definitely see um, less shots for the team that's winning. And when they do take shots, they are going to be of higher quality. Um, and then you'll all, you see the opposite almost for the, the team that is behind. They will press more to try to score. Um, so a lot of times when somebody is behind, they're going to see a higher volume of shots. And, you know, we saw this with Arsenal, but um, saying that they took lower quality shots is actually probably wrong. Um, I, I looked at this. Um, so between um, the second goal that Manchester United scored and the third goal that Manchester United scored, um, Arsenal out XG Manchester United by a little bit over three XG. Um, so even so though they were theory- sitting... It could have been 3-2 before they made it 3-3, and I realize that's purely in theory, and that's not necessarily how the statistic is meant to work, but we created the chances that statistically could have scored three goals, not to mention penalty shouts. Exactly. There, so, yeah, during that, there's definitely the, the Lacazette um, clothesline that I guess is legal now um, that wasn't included in that XG. So if you want to include a penalty, um, you can, in your head, add a, a .75 in favor of Arsenal. Um, and then, you know, the, the Danny Welbeck obvious penalty, which I really have no idea what his, his linesman was doing on that one, that he didn't get that penalty. Um, yeah, and the, so hand, the handball uh, as well later on. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So really, there's, there's quite a few. Um, well, let me ask you this. I mean, other than XG, does the quality of our attack show up in the statistics uh, vis-a-vis, you know, the way we built play or the way we were passing or the quality of our buildup? Because I, I think there will be some people that will say, well, the XG is uh, heavily influenced by score effects. But are, statistically speaking, do the other numbers suggest that we were playing well uh, while we were attacking? Yeah. So, I mean, it, again, this is also going to be affected by you know, the tactics of the game, but um, Arsenal had several players finish um, in the 90th plus percentile for passing value added. 
Um, Mesut Ozil actually put up the the best number that I have um, in my record so far this season. Um, Out of how, how many just, how many player performances do you know? Um, so it's all um, the big five leagues of Europe. So I think everybody's about fifteen games or yeah, fifteen weeks or so times you know twenty uh, a league. So you're looking at you know several thousand performances. Okay, so when we say he put up the best you have in your database, it's not like you know him and five other guys that you're tracking. It's it's thousands of performances, and this was at the top. That's right. Impressive. Okay, I like it. Uh, anything else? Um, so just a, just a little bit more on kind of you know the improbability and just how out of his mind David De Gea played. Um, so I, I did a couple of um, simulations based on um, you know the XG that Arsenal created, just to, just to kind of get an idea of what is the, the likelihood of this actual result um, happening. Um, so based on all of the shots that Arsenal took, I had um, scoring one goal equal to the probability of scoring seven goals. Um, so that's about 4.5% of the time. Um, and then um, later this afternoon, I, I actually looked at just the shots on target. And that one um, is equal to scoring us. Well, scoring one goal is equal to scoring eight goals. And so wow. us only scoring one goal with the number that we put on target um, happens just 1% of the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's So it's, we it's underperformed what we should have scored in, in terms of probability by in the 99% range and we should have been just as likely to score seven or eight goals based on the types of shots we took and the positions we took them uh as as likely to do that as we were to score one i mean this obviously says a lot about our finishing but it says a lot about deheya and actually i know you've been tracking deheya and and united outperforming their expected goals against um deheya has been out of his mind the whole season hasn't he he has been and i know um one of the things that is kind of been a, I guess, a controversy. Is eh, whatever, whatever happens on Twitter debate. Not necessarily. Yes, um, about Burnley and how they're um, overperforming XG. Um, but the craziest thing is that Manchester United, at least according to my model, um, is overperforming um, even more. Um, and then after this game, it's like going into another level of outlier. Um, I believe that they are overperforming um, their XG allowed by like fifty-eight percent or something like that. So it's one of those things like you look at the number and you know they're over they're overperforming by eight goals. Well, well that, let, that, let me ask you that, this: that looks like a lot, but when you think about it as a percentage-wise, that's even more crazy. So if that's like a season where you might concede twenty goals, so that'd be like you're overperforming your expected goals by twenty or thirty goals, which is just absolutely crazy. Right. So so let me ask you a question then. I mean, this speaks to the value of a goalkeeper at some level. We think De Gea is a quality keeper. So let's say David De Gea is the Lionel Messi of goalkeepers. Now, I don't think he is. That's not my point. But my point is, Lionel Messi can outperform his XG, correct? That's right. And how dramatically does he outperform his XG? Um, I believe that, you know, uh, the top strikers will usually be maybe about 50% um, above average. Okay. Um, so so is it is it reasonable I to suggest that if De Gea is sort of the Messi of goalkeepers, and I realize that the keeper isn't the only thing factored into X, XG allowed, but or XG against. I mean, is it fair to say that this may not be variance, that there may not be a regression coming, and that David De Gea is this good? It's definitely possible, because um, at least in my mind, um, goalkeeping statistics are still in the Stone Age, um, where we're trying to figure out exactly how best to measure. Um, I'm sure if you had some sort of tracking data where you could see the positioning um, and then comparing where the shot went based on their positioning, you could get a little bit better idea um, even then of what the, the save percentage should be. Um, I will say in general, um, 
that the spread in talent between goalkeepers is a lot smaller than it is between strikers. So you will, in general, see less outliers in that. Um, in general, um, you know, a, keep, a good keeper will save um, in the high 70s um, at the, the shots on target. Um, David De Gea right now, I believe, is um, at 90%. That's incredible. That really is incredible, and it showed up on the day. So, all right, look, it sounds like we attacked well. Mesut Ozil obviously had a great day, and the PPVA stats demonstrate that. The XG that we created from a probability standpoint should have left us, uh, if not winning this match, certainly with a chance to win this match and, and at a minimum get something from the match. That didn't happen. We know that. And in the wake of this, there's been a renewed debate about Alexis Sanchez and whether he fits into the collective. And I think, you know, this was happening a few weeks ago with Mesut Ozil. You and I even went over it because people wanted him in the reserves and they wanted Awobi to be playing and Mesut Ozil can fuck off and so on and so forth. And now we see, no, Mesut Ozil is in fact a great player. And I feel that that backlash has now shifted to some extent to Alexis. And the narrative is that he's uh, too selfish, he holds the ball too long, he gives it away too much, and that we would be a better team without him. So maybe we can dive into a little bit, statistically from this match and, and maybe on the season, the extent to which maybe he is hurting us statistically, but also the the kind of output that he is producing um, and and whether or not we are maybe taking for granted the, the quality of this player. Yeah, definitely. So one of the other things I, I wanted to touch on was even in that first 11 minutes where um, Arsenal shipped the two goals, um, I thought that they actually didn't play that bad. And if you look at the possession stats, um, Arsenal had the, the better possession. Um, so I had them on the a positive side. They were at 0. .6. Um, so, you know, their possession was worth over half a goal. Um, occurred to United where theirs is 0.4 and that's even including being gifted the ball um, by Mustafi and by uh, Koscielny with some boneheaded passes. Interesting. Um, So we're theoretically still playing better than even before they they built that sort of platform to sit back. So that's the the positive side. So that doesn't include, so if we want to, you know, net it out the negatives that they had. So Mustafi actually had the the worst giveaway um, on the day, um, which is not surprising. Um, so that was worth point uh, one one, um, you know, in the value. So I, I, I do my best to to have these scale two goals. So um, right there, giving the ball away there um, is worth about a tenth of a goal. Um, and then you know Pogba actually did his good stuff. And what what about uh, the Koscielny giveaway? Because I actually felt that that was the worst play. Uh, so that one actually um, is a little bit less bad. So I have that one as a, a negative point zero five. Okay, um, but that's just bad. because it was just a little bit further out. Um, so that Got one okay. um, didn't quite um, hurt as bad. Um, and then yeah, so the, the so Mustafi the hurtfulness one, of the error may have been worse, but that that of Mustafi's error may have been worse. But it's still possible that for me to say that Koscielny's giveaway there is a worse decision. But I, yeah, I, I I def- statistically, yeah, well, it's yeah, less dangerous. Yeah, that decision to, to pass the ball across your defensive third um, and hope that nothing ha- bad happens is always a, a, an iffy decision to make. Yeah. Okay, so, so I mean, again, I, I, I see your point. Um, but I, I do... You know, I do think that this is going to become an issue as we get further into the season. And, and if we keep Alexis through January, there's always going to be this question of where his head's at. And, you know, as we start to move away from him because it's almost assured that he will not stay, I think people will start to wipe away or wave away the contribution he makes so negative and positive what are we getting from alexis yeah so um i will say on a negative he gave the ball away a lot um so i have him uh being dispossessed twice um i have five bad mistouches or miscontrols and 26 misplayed passes um so all of this um adds up to um, a negative 0.5 
um, on the the negative ledger. Um, and this is all. Um, I'm going to you know come out and say this is all pretty beta. I created these stats basically just because um, I wanted to see how today's game um, really kind of worked out. So um, I will you know reserve the right to go back and uh, revise these as I get more data and I can go through the rest of the season because this is something that I'd like to um, dig deeper into. Um, but so on Alexis, so he was dispossessed um, once in the final third and once in the middle third. Um, his bad touches, he had um, two in the middle third, two in the final third, and one in the defensive third, and that's the one that, that really hurt um, and was a, a negative .06. Um, and then of his misplayed passes, um, all 25 of 26 all came in the final third, so it really just shows that he's he's trying to create things. And those ones, um, basically, they're they're all a .001 negative, which is basically not, not too bad. Well, um, well, let me just stop you for a second, because I, th- I think the thing that's interesting there is, you know, if the narrative is he's a selfish player and his giveaways kill us and his sloppiness kills us, I think what, what that suggests to me is, okay, he's maybe trying too high a degree of difficulty more often than he should. Maybe he's pressing too hard to find the killer ball. But he's playing a lot of passes in the final third. He's trying to find his teammates. He's trying to create openings, and it's not coming off. I mean, those giveaways, A, don't sound super dangerous, and they don't sound like the play of a selfish player to me. Yeah, and so, I mean, he is trying to find his opponents. And he actually, um, you know, he was dispossessed twice, but he didn't. And this is actually something that was a little surprising. He didn't complete any dribbles. Um, So I think he was looking looking to create for other people instead of doing his normal thing where – he takes on two or three guys to try to create his own shot, um, and then if you if so, we, we talked about his negatives, um, but now we have to look at the other side of the ledger um, where his positives were over um, 1.05. So he is um, the second best on the actual total positives behind Mesedozel in in um, what pattern? passing value. In, in, so in in um, the total positive, so that's what this would include dribbles, but he didn't have any dribbles. Okay. Um, so so just a ledger of positive contribution, game contribution and negative game contribution. Yes. So on net, he was, I believe, fourth um, behind uh, Ozil, uh, Ramsey, Awobi. Um, so, I mean, he creates a lot of positive. He creates a lot of negative. In general, I believe the positives outweigh the negative. Um, and this is something that I'm going to do a deep dive to see if my, you know, my, I, my intuition is confirmed. But at least for this game the positives outweigh the negative according to the stats. Yeah, and I, I guess the interesting thing to me about some of those statistics is the narrative of giving the ball away, obviously one giveaway like what Koscielny or Mustafi did is worth, you know, 10 giveaways of what Alexis does in the final third. Um, now, I you know, I fully understand that people's idea about Alexis not fitting the collective have to do with how long he holds the ball trying to dribble, uh, being sloppy, not executing, being selfish. But I, I do think that when you balance that with the amount that he tries to create, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm guessing he doesn't get an assist for the ball over the top to Ramsey. Um, no, that Ramsey doesn't. lays on the Lacazette. So, I mean, d- does, is that sort of like lost to the statistics forever, so to speak? Um, no, so that's definitely caught in the, the passing value added. That is, um, I believe I looked through, and that was the, the third highest um, value pass. Um, so, uh, there was a, a Mesut Ozil one, uh, a, the Paul Pogba one that created the third goal, and then the pass to Ramsey um, for Lacazette. Yeah, well, and I, I would imagine, does Ramsey get credit for a pass to Lacazette? Oh, so, I mean, Lac- that's, you know, that's, that's a, a pass that went, like, a foot. So that's not going to... 
yeah, the value added is not, yeah. I mean, really, it should be being able to control that pass is where his value added came. Got it. Well, look, I mean, it's it's all very interesting. It's a game that I think has a lot of people scratching their heads because losing at home to United and Jose Mourinho makes you want to tear your hair out and break things and cry. And at the same time, creating enough chances that 99% of the time you are going to win and you'd be more likely to score seven or eight goals than one. I mean, you can't help but come away feeling like there's something to it. As far as the Alexis Sanchez thing, we'll check in with you again, I think, down the road to kind of see where he's at because he is a, a player that is going to be hotly debated throughout the season, as will Mesut Ozil. The attention is on them. Um, but for right now, you know, they're in the team, and we're going to have to depend on them. So, Scott, I appreciate, uh, as always, you coming on and, and telling me stuff that I don't fully understand. We'll hope that you will do it more in the future, and I promise to continue to not fully understand it. Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find him on crabstats.blogspot.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you after the thrilling uh, final group stage game uh, in the Europa League this Thursday. Yeah. Oh, shout out to the, my stuff that I write on the short fuse too. That's a, a good spot to, to find a lot of my Arsenal good, writing too. Good point. Uh, he Scott is now on uh, writing for the short fuse and um, slumming it with us from time to time. All right. <laughs> Thanks for reminding us, Scott. We'll talk to you Thursday, Friday. Awesome. Yep. Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Okay. So I thought that was interesting, but it's only as interesting as what we do with it now. And that means it's time to dive back in with Tim and Clive. And so, Clive, getting to Alexis, um, there's a lot of anti-Alexis sentiment that's starting to build and circulate on social media. He is a player I have a lot of time for. I don't think it was coming off for him this game. And yet, the one goal we scored was beautifully made by him. Uh, quick question, just a quick question for both of you. Anyone believe yep. Ramsey was passing to Lacazette there, or do you think that's a miscontrol? No, no, he definitely was, because he... Um have a look at what he does immediately afterwards. He moves straight out of the way without breaking stride, and that that always tells you. And um, Ramsey, he does have form for... Yeah, do you remember the goal Ozil scored away at Middlesbrough last season? Very similar yeah. assist from Ramsey, but it was on his chest. And um, without going on a massive deep dive on this, I think you saw in that moment why a lot of our fans don't get on with Ramsey because um, he's very, very calm. He's much calmer than we are. Uh, same with Chesney, by the way. Um, he's a lot cooler. He's a lot more collected than we are. And basically, he's got a cool and smart enough head to ignore us when we're shouting, you know, get rid of the ball, do this, do that, go for it. You know, he's, he's, he's actually he's quite calm uh, on the ball. And even when he was a bit younger and he came into the team and wasn't playing well, he was, he was never afraid to go and get the ball. And that's, that's what you get in Aaron Ramsey and I think we got that again we got a very cool head in a white hot situation counterpoint he blasted over from the penalty spot when Mesut Ozil <laughs> volleys it to him late on in the game and it, it's it's a brilliant little volleyed cross into Ramsey and he blasts over from six yards it's, um, it, it's quite a difficult chance though, I, I, okay, okay okay <laughs> I love Ramsey too I thought he was brilliant. to my to, to my point, I thought he played well. I thought when he, he what he did, he disconnected physically from people that were stronger than him. Ramsey, he, he made himself available. Yep, mm-hmm. I thought he disconnected from Pogba because he knew he couldn't match him physically. Yeah, he couldn't Pog- match Pogba him. He got was run a, real a couple of times. Yeah, he got run. But what he did, this is what I like to see in players: how you fix problems, how you fix things, how you fix somebody that's bigger, stronger, faster than you. What you're going to do? You're going to stand still or are you going to show for the ball? He kept showing, kept showing, kept running, kept breaking. And I love that about him. And the reason why people 
had an issue with him in the past and he's become less of an issue now was almost wrapped up in that goal um, he's much more of a team player now than he was even three months ago he's much more somebody that plays for the team tries to fix problems for well. other people and in that situation he slightly overrun it his foot was curled in he had the opportunity to decide do I try a flash finish or do I make sure we score and that moment he made a fantastic decision to cushion it down for Lacazette move out of the way definite goal brilliant brilliant football and yeah. there was a time when you try a flick on the outside of the foot help it on its way do something flashy be a bit extravagant and that's the player that Arsenal fans are divided on the team player they're not divided on him yeah, no, look, I don't think so. And he's becoming more of a team player. I thought Ramsey was sensational. I thought Ozil and Lacazette were sensational. Then there's Alexis and Clive. I mean, as I mentioned, he lays on that goal. I mean, that, that ball is amazing. And I will point out, late on in the game in the last 20 minutes, he played like five or six in-swinging crosses to the center of the penalty box that were just perfect crosses that no one really did anything with. Alexis gave the ball away, I think it was 34 times. It was something insane and it wasn't really coming off for him on this day although I think it'd be hard pressed to say that he was what was wrong with us um, people are getting frustrated with Alexis saying we could be better off without him that, that he, we could do more without him and yet I look at a guy who scored the winner against Burnley w- admittedly from the spot but he scored it um, created our only goal against United by the way um, what am I forgetting he scored against Huddersfield obviously uh, I, I mean he has created or scored crucial goals all through this season in a season where he's been criticized for not being very good um is alexis scuffling is he is he struggling a little bit right now in your opinion is he trying too hard does he hurt the collective or are we just overly critical of him because he is such a big figure and because he loses the ball he, a lot <laughs> he is he's just a mr bad he's a very good player and, um in the modern game he's a player that He's quite difficult to read. He's very instinctive. You can't coach for him. You can't plan for him. You're not sure what you're going to get. The issue with him is is his contractual situation. There are some people that believe we should have sold him. There's mm-hmm. some people believe that um, he's everything to everything. And because of that, we are, we're judging him from different start points. Yeah. Um, uh, my personal opinion. Yeah. What's your personal, personal opinion? opinion on I want to know what you think. This is what this is what I feel, right? And this we we spoke about it last time about we Arsenal fans turning into directors of football, and I'm probably a bad example. <laughs> I may be one of those, but I look at a period when Wenger was a master of recognizing when people reach their physical limit and selling and telling them about six months to a year just just prior to that. I, I felt, given what he's done for Chile over recent years, and Tim knows that better than me. Given the fact he just pushed himself massively physically, given what he'd done for us for three years, assisting and goal scoring, there come a moment we've got to say, you know what, am I going to get more from him next year? And a player that's based on physical movements, constant fitness, maximum motivation, I just felt, you know what, this is the time to cash in. Right, it might hurt us in the short to short to medium, um, but this is the time to cash in. Other people say, "Club, what are you worried about the money for? It's not your money." I just can't help but think about the club's progression overall, and the club's progression overall is normally driven by finance. So I can't help but think that way. I wish I could say it's not it's not my money, 
And so why don't Gazidis get another deal commercially and cover the money that we lose? But we're not doing that. So it does matter what we're doing. But also the potential effect he has on other people is not always deemed to be positive. So I felt right. he was the one we should have moved. We should have moved him because I think it's- you can replace the impact but you can't replace the numbers. I know we're going to go in there. I know yeah, we're going to go. Yeah. We can't replace How, how do you numbers. replace 25 goals and 10 assists? You can't <laughs> do, do it. You, do you can't do it. I mean, you that's what 150 it, you know? million pounds buys you these days. That's why people spend 150 million pounds. And that's the decision we took. You know, we had Van Persie. We tried to replace him with Jerome Podolski. It didn't quite work. We didn't quite get the output. We managed to stay in the top four, but nothing like what Van Persie could have given us. We would have kept him another year with those players that we added. Who knows what could have happened? He arrived, Alexis. He's he's not going to sign, and I can we can probably all agree on that. He's not going to sign. So we had a decision to make. Now, personally, I think he's playing quite well. I think he's our spark. I think he's very wasteful. He's also very effective. What's new? Yeah, there's I, nothing new there. He may be three or four goals short. That's it. Nothing new. This is the same player. But I do see physical limits. I see a player that's a little bit tired, a little bit not quite as sharp, not quite as quick, and people are starting to read him just a touch, just a touch more. But he's, he's more likely to go out next game and score a hat-trick. You know? and, and that's the player that he is. And the reason why the best teams in the world are after him is because he's massively influential. And influence on a game goes beyond the numbers right and I think he's a massively influential player I know the last podcast you, you and Tim had a discussion around who is um, who would you rather see go oh, I can't remember exactly who, who's question, the harder yeah. one to replace uh, Ozo or Alexis yeah who's, who's the harder one to replace and and from a from a team pattern perspective not output from a team pattern perspective and influence on how we play Ozil is a huge player for us He's huge in everything we do. He is right the now. That we play. Clive, I, I don't disagree. He is right now. But, I mean, are, yep. we're kind of seeing a different Ozil all of a sudden. He's doing it every game. He's running. He's, he's, I mean, he's, he's taking games by the scruff of the neck. He's taking a leadership role in the team. Yeah. He's, he's playing with energy and commitment that I don't think you could yep. always say he has played with. And I realize that those are a lot of hashtag narrative words. But, like, yep. there's no question in my mind that this – this Ozil is a different proposition than the Ozil we've seen sometimes that kind of drifts through games. Now, I want to make a point about Alexis here, too. I get a lot of people telling me, Tim, and by the way, Clive, next time, look, I realize you have to take your wife out for a birthday. You have to. But maybe for your anniversary, save I the money to. and spend it on your internet service provider because it's killing Oh, you're, man. You're killing Sorry, mate. Um, it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, Tim, like, like, People will will say to me, oh, you know, we, we should sell Alexis because he's, we'd be a better team without him, that he's hurting the team. And yet, mm-hmm. he was in this team that played scintillating attacking football against United, that played scintillating attacking football against Huddersfield, that is in its best attacking run of form that I can remember in ages. So if he's hurting us so much, how are these other players managing to play so well together? Not to mention that, yeah, we had 33 shots and we had 5XG or whatever the hell it was, but... The one goal we did score comes from Alexis completely destroying the Manchester United defense with a ball over the top to Ramsey that is picture perfect. Mm. I mean, so I, I know you feel that Alexis was off in this game, that, that it wasn't coming mm. off for him. I mean, was he was he bad? Was he just not the, the Alexis we needed him to be? I mean, what, what was your appraisal of him in this game, and, and is he becoming an impediment? 
Um, well, you know, normally I, I completely and utterly um, reject that. I, I understand why people say it, but you know what my point is usually that um, that basically this team isn't quite good enough for um, for him to be a massive problem. Um, I actually do think he started to stray into that territory against United, and I, I completely take your point. It was a wonderful through ball for uh, for the goal, wonderful cross. But um, he did try that about fifty times, and I don't think it was always the best option. All right, that's a fair um, point. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, but and, I mean, it's not like we what, played poorly in attack, and he's the re- you know what I mean. Like this is what's no, hard no. for me is like this was our best attacking performance ever, and he was in it. So, like. <laughs> it's hard you know what I yeah, mean it's kind of yeah. hard to say he ruined it <laughs> yeah yeah no no absolutely absolutely and I, and I think there's a lot of emotion in this right so there's a lot of um there's a lot of kind of um you know oh he's he fucking shit he's terrible let's get rid of it you know and th- there's a lot of kind of emotional reactions going on which obviously you're going to get from football supporters none of us are uh, none of us are immune to that um, and I think the truth here is is probably somewhere in the middle for this game. Usually, I, I come down much heavier on your side um, on this, but I did think at two 0 he started to panic a little bit, um, and I, he started getting in Ramsey's way quite a lot. And you know, it could, because of the kind of player he is, it was like, right, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. And sometimes it was just like, Do you know what, we have actually got a couple of other good attacking players who are. Uh, equally as capable of, of building the play in the final third as you are. Um, you know, it, it's fine for you to leave the ball to Ramsey 30 yards from goal because he's in a rich vein of form and his creative game has really come on. And And I think that's where he kind of lost it a bit for for kind of 20 minutes or so. Um, when it when it came back to 2-1, I, I, I thought that calmed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then we just kind of got to this stage. And by the way, it must be said that, yeah, all right, Alexis tried that dink over the top about 50 times. Um, Ozil tried it a lot as well, um, and it didn't come off. Um, to, uh, basically, at the end of the game, when it was 3-1, and they, they had uh, you know nine players in their box, and we had Giroud on, um, which, which I felt like was a little bit of a bad mix, because then Ozil started doing it as well. Just And to be fair, I'm not sure there were many other options uh, exactly presenting themselves, but that kind of dink over the top and United, you know, as Clive says, they're, they're a very big team. They're going to deal with that, uh, generally speaking. So I, yeah, I this is one of the first times. And like I say, I completely understand the criticism people make of Alexis. I do think it's over egged. Um, but this was one of the first times where I actually got a bit frustrated with him in the ground. I was just kind of thinking, you know, when, almost like tackling his own players at times and I was just thinking just just calm it down for five minutes like we're, we're playing well you know we've got Lacazette playing really well Ramsey's playing really well Ozil's playing really well like we, we don't need you to be a one-man team here we need you to be part of a you know of a, of a kind of bigger thing um, but like I say I, I think um, it's you know it's massively over exaggerated online as as these things usually are. It's you know oh he's awful he's a complete impediment and that's that's just rubbish. But um, I think he he had a foot you know over that side of the line on this occasion maybe a toe. Yeah, and I mean look we had seventy five percent possession so a lot of players gave the ball away a lot. I think yeah. Ozil gave it away like twenty two times or so you know like yeah, turned exactly. over possession because when you have that much possession and you're in the attacking half that much. You're not going to complete 90% of the passes you play no. from 18 yards away from the opposition goal. You know what I mean? Uh, especially mm. when you have 75% possession. So, 
I just think the the pattern of the game meant that some of those numbers are going to be overinflated. No, by the way, it, wa- it wasn't really Alexis turning the ball. There there have been games when Alexis turning the ball over has been a huge problem for us. I just didn't feel this was a game where it was a huge problem for us. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not trying I'm to like sound. You, Go ahead. Yeah, please. I, I was just going to say basically, if Özil and Alexis had you know ninety plus percent, you'd look at that and you say that's sterile domination because that's just moving the ball emptily from side to side yeah. whereas what they were both trying to do was try to you know try to affect the game um, and try to make something happen yeah I, I and I I do come across as nozzle apologist and I get that like some of the the criticism I level at Giroud which is he holds the whole team back in terms of when he's on the pitch I don't think we play as well could be leveled at Alexis but what I would say is you point to a game like this or a game like Huddersfield where we are a scintillating attacking team and he's in it so you can't say he's holding it back. You could say he had a bad game, but you can't say he was making us worse because we were in the attacking half. I don't think you can have any complaints with the way we played against United. I, Or if you do have complaints, I don't know what they would be other than the finishing. Look, I, I got to tell you guys, I mean, it's frustrating to lose this game, and I think the third goal was kind of a shit show. Um, you always felt at some point if we kept attacking that much, they might come back and get us. But I, I just, not to sound like a broken record, I've seen Jose Mourinho come to the Emirates or or even when we've gone to Old Trafford or or to you know, Stamford Bridge or whatever, just park the bus, hold us at bay, toy with us, physically dominate us, and pick us off here and there, and it's just this boring, lifeless, dull march to losing, and I never felt that was the case here. I always felt like we were one finish away from being right back in the game, one, one call going in our favor like a penalty call from being right back in it. I think they were uncomfortable and crisis defending the whole game. And I think, you know, look, if you're going to lose a match at a minimum, you want to look and say, is this the start of a bad run? Is this, is this, does this highlight flaws in our game that is going to become a problem for us? And I came away from this game feeling that if we just play like this going forward, most teams can't live with it. Um, and so I, you know, I'm I'm not discouraged. I, I, Clive, I'll let you have a last word. I mean, we come up to a very very busy period now. Obviously, we don't know what's wrong with Mustafi because the manager doesn't know what's wrong with Mustafi. But assuming that the attacking Twisted side, Twisted Sock. What was that? Twisted Sock. <laughs> yeah, that's all that's happened with him. He untw- untwisted Sock. He's going to be fine. But I, assuming that we can keep this attacking unit together, and obviously on Thursday it's going to be kids and you know a, f- a few players that could use a game. Do you just stick with what we're doing and assume that that playing like this is going to yield more positive outcomes than negative ones? I was pleased how we reacted, but the the number one thing to me in the whole game, the whole experience was seeing the centre forward who's been settling into the club, um, settling into the Premiership, and basically I thought Lacazette was, was tremendous. I thought he was ferocious. I thought he led. I thought he showed personality. I thought he created different problems. And Ozil and, and Ramsey seem to understand how to play with him now, right? I mean, th- this is why it's been so important to get them on the pitch together, right, Clive, to to start to develop these partnerships. Yeah, it's really good to see Lacazette integrate into this group, but not just be the player on paper that we all want him to be, but but really, really show some leadership and some personality. I, Manchester United are a formidable defensive team. The players that don't move, they stay in their spaces, and he moved them around. He moved them, he threatened them, he stressed them. He had shots off left foot, right foot. 
he was so mobile, so active. So he read the future beautifully. And you said last time on the podcast about him being a little bit like Van Persie. I thought that was a great shout. He's got a wonderful shot. He keeps it low. De Gea save right close to his body was tremendous on the double save. But the technique on that shot on his wrong side was perfect. And I just think he's just he's really developing into a combination of Van Persie and Giroud. He links like Giroud. He can run down the sides like Van Persie. And he can shoot like Van Persie. He hasn't got the physicality of either. But he's fine. what he does very smartly is that he's got great proactive movement. And so he puts people under pressure because he reads the future. And that's his skill. And I think if we can get like-minded players around him, I really believe he's a big part of our future. And that's not like a, oh, Clive, how have we said that? That's, that's, that's wonderful. But I think for the first time, I, I feel confident that he can lead us into the next phase of this team. And uh, I thought he was tremendous on the day. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and I'm, I'm learning to love this player, and the manager has, has been careful in how he's used him, but I hope that he kind of takes the kid gloves off now. I realize, obviously, you have to protect him physically, but hopefully he will be, he'll be raring to go the rest of the season. I think the danger for us is we look really exciting in the attacking half of the pitch right now, but I'm not sure how much quality we have behind those first choice. I mean, they're not bad players, but I think there is a drop-off. Uh, we'll finish with this, Tim, just really quickly. Um, I mean, you come away from a loss, and usually it's all doom and gloom. I don't think that's the case here. So do you come away with this from this worried that emotionally it may be too much for the team to recover from, or do you think that we will lift ourselves uh, as a result of this incredible attacking display that we put on the last few games and just go from strength to strength in the matches to come? I think even if we attack 70% that well, it will be enough against most of the Premier League. And, um, you know, we maybe the, our kind of um, our flaws won't be highlighted. So, well, not just so, not just the fact that Manchester United took advantage of every single one of those mistakes. It's more that, you know, perhaps on another day, we don't do that three times. Maybe we only do it once and there's a different outcome. So, um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not. Um, I wouldn't say like I'm massively, massively enthused, but I'm certainly my excitement for the rest of the season is not diminished. I still think the big upside for us is that Ursula Alexis and Lacazette is in its very early days. I think that was only like their fourth game together, maybe. Um, and you know, if it, all three of them have kind of been handled a little bit with kid gloves in the first half of the season. And the big potential upside, if we keep them all fit, is that. We've got a whole half a season ahead of us where those three can really, you know, they can really cement their partnership um, and all three of them can kind of lift their their uh, their individual contributions. You know, we're already seeing it from Ozil. We're beginning to see Lacazette really, um, really, you know, be at home in this team. If Alexis can come back to somewhere closer to where he what to where he was last season as well, and if those three, you know, it's like a, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. If those three work on their partnership, um, then it's it's not unreasonable to suggest that they'll all get better, and that's um, that that's a big upside for us. And they should all be relatively fresh because they've not been playing in Europe, so we can really use that to our advantage. And I, I don't think this game really affected my thinking on that either way. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's right. And ultimately, I mean, my hope is we don't sell anybody in January. I mean, I look, I get why it's nice to make money, and I get why we all want to play director of football, but I think this team can still do some really special things this season. I, I realize 
special would be the title, and we're not going to get there. But I think we can have a fun season to watch, that we can put on some brilliant performances, that we can get back into the top four. I hope this team stays together till the end of the season, because at a minimum, I think we will get to enjoy some things that we haven't been able to enjoy, namely some some really breathtaking attacking football between now and the end of the season. Um, in any event, I mean, it's an interesting way of discussing a loss, and there were a lot of events we didn't even cover. Um, the Pogba red card, you know, thankfully, Bellerin is okay. Duncan Castles is furious with him uh, for the way he went into that challenge, and I totally understand that, Duncan. <laughs> um, it's, it's fine. Give Jose a kiss tonight before you get into bed. Anyway... Um, Let's leave it there. We've got uh, kids playing in midweek, it would be my guess. And then, you know, we'll get to see. We'll get to see if emotionally this this loss took something out of the team or if we can go and reproduce this kind of attacking football. Uh, when we go to St. Mary's for Southampton, um, then I think it's West Ham and then it's, it's Liverpool at the Emirates. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting football coming up. The question will be how the manager manages the squad. The, the answer is in the question, right? How the manager manages the squad going into that busy uh, holiday period. But... We got plenty of time between now and then still to do a lot of podcasts. In any event, Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I will uh, confess that we had some internet problems both on Clive's end and my end that caused this podcast to be a little uh, bit of a post-production nightmare. So if it seemed a little choppy at points, uh, it's not because I'm a terrible podcast host. Uh, I may be a terrible podcast host, but that's not the reason. It's because uh, the internet hates us. In any event, uh, we will talk to you after Cologne. Cheers. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.